Alright, so everybody knows how VPN services and ExpressVPN can protect your privacy and security online, right? But did you know that there are some secret hidden benefits to using ExpressVPN, like unlocking movies and shows that are only available in other countries? So if you're like me, you probably enjoy watching shows on Netflix, for example. Well, with ExpressVPN, you can unlock the UK version of The Office or Parasite from South Korean Netflix. Over a hundred different countries. All you have to do is change your location and refresh Netflix or whatever. Hulu, BBC iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. In fact, when I set it up for myself, I was surprised at how easy it was. It just installs and then loads up and works. And it works on more than just PCs, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and so much more. So if you want to get access to hundreds of new shows, use my link right now, expressvpn.com slash ringslore, and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash ringslore, expressvpn.com slash ringslore to learn more. Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. I've always found it interesting how patient Dark Lords are. You don't consider patience to be something that many evil characters have. It's not a quality you see in other stories very often. Generally, evil characters tend to be a, a little bit anxious. They're, they're ready to get out there. They want to prove themselves. They want to conquer or take over things or just show how much better they are than everyone else. Morgoth and Sauron, like him, bide their time they're very good at just working in the background, setting up their plans, making sure everything is in place and that they have the strength and the power and everything in place to overwhelm their enemies before pulling the trigger. If you think about the end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Sauron isn't ready yet to go to war, but he's put in a place where he thinks that his enemies have the ring and are about to use it. And so it presses him into battle earlier than he would have liked. And even then, his forces are extremely formidable. And had certain things not played out the way they did, he would have taken Minas Tirith. And this most likely would have spelled the end for the good guys in the story. Well, for all of Morgoth's patience... Things at this point in the story of the, the tales of Beleriand, of the First Age, don't always go to plan for him. There's a mistake. A mist mistakes were made. Morgoth, I don't think, was directly responsible for this mistake so much as indirectly responsible. In the background, while the elves were settling the land and... Places like Gondolin and Nargothrond were being created, founded. He was working on a special weapon. The Uruloki. A fire drake. 
Or, we could just call them dragons. And I'm going to spend the second half of this episode talking about the origin of the dragons and what Tolkien scholars think might be the actual origin, because it is not spelled out here in the Silmarillion, at least not directly. We do know a few things from this story, but there are a lot of things that we need to speculate about in order to get to the core of who the dragons are and how he made them. But we'll get to that in the second half of this episode. The first half of this episode is all about Glaurung. Such a good name, Glaurung. The first of the fire drakes, the father of the dragons. And Tolkien uses that term, father of the dragons, which does lead a little bit to some of the confusion about what exactly that means. Well, Glaurung not being full grown yet, but a good hundred years old at this point, was ready. He decided it was time to test his mettle against the elves. Or maybe claws and fire and toxic gas was probably a better thing that he <laughs> to describe that he'd be testing. But he decides it is time to go. He needs to do what he is built to do. And he attempts to break the siege. The siege of Angband. And Morgoth hadn't planned for this. He wasn't ready for it. But Glorong thought he was ready. When we think of Glorong, we need to th- we need to realize, we need to remember that he was a prototype. He was the earliest of the dragons. There are words that are used in Tolkien's writings that have been used since then to describe dragons in fantasy. Worm, drake, dragon. The picture of Glorung is one of a serpent without any wings. This doesn't fit the modern conception of what a fantasy dragon looks like. We get all these arguments about does a dragon have four legs or is it a drake because it has two legs and or a wyvern wyverns have two legs and wings but no front arms that kind of thing this wasn't something tolkien was worried about here he specifically explains that glarong is like a worm a lizard a worm with a y w y r m a creature a gigantic, fantastically sized, large, lizard-like creature. And when you look at Tolkien's actual drawings of dragons, you can see that there's a lot more in common with the way he draws dragons with Eastern culture dragons. When you think of places like China and the, the dragons that they draw, they look very serpentine, very long bodies. Also with wings and legs, but the bodies tend to be very elongated. Those, I think, are more of the the designs visually that Tolkien had in mind when he was thinking about Glorung. Glorung slithered on the ground. Glorung has this large but long body. And again, no wings. An underbelly that lays close to the ground. And the first time that we meet Glorung like I mentioned in the beginning of the show, he's ready for battle. He heads out before it is time in order to try to break the siege and 
take on as many elves as he possibly can. It seems. It seems like he's very headstrong. He's very sure of himself. And dragons also, it needs to be noted here. And many of you have met Smog before, if you've read The Hobbit. Smog is smart. He's intelligent. Glarung as well. A very smart, intelligent kind of creature. But he didn't realize that he wasn't ready yet. He throws himself out into an area that is called Ardgallen, or Ardgalen, probably. This area of the map is the zone between Angband and the rest of the new elven settlements south of Angband, Thangorodrim, the fortress, like the, the area that was being sieged, basically. Ardgalen means green region. It is an area that is basically flatlands between the mountains in the north and the forests and other mountains and things that are south of that. This region was so green and prosperous with grasses and and plants and those kinds of things that it was named the green region. Later on in the story, it doesn't stay that way. Eventually it gets the name on Foglith, which means a land of grasping dust. So you can imagine some of the events to come here. Now, unlike some of the other conflicts that we hear about in the Silmarillion and in these stories, we don't get a very clear, detailed example of what happens when Glorong decides to take on the elves. We do know that initially they fled before him. They saw this gigantic lizard creature coming out of Angband, breathing fire and leaving toxic gases in his wake. This thing was a chemical, like a biochemical weapon of its age. (laughs) You could think of it like that. And the elves fled back to Arid, Wethrin, and Dorthonian, and they were very concerned about this creature and if they would be able to handle it. But... Like with many of these events, you have one of the key characters stepping up and taking on the responsibilities of fighting back the darkness. Fingen, who we've talked about before, Prince Fingen of Hithlum. Hithlum's, again, to the west, kind of southwest of Angband, decides that he's going to take on this creature and rides in battle against the creature and, and it says rides here so you can picture in your head elves on horseback with archers horse archers which seems like a really smart idea against something that is very large and probably quick and blowing fire you want to stay at a distance and you want to stay mobile and the the words here in the text are they hemmed him round with a ring of swift riders And Glorong could not endure their darts, being not yet come to his full armory, and he fled back to Angban. So the picture that you need to have in mind here is that, one, they outmaneuver him, they surround him with horse archers, and they hit him with elven bows and arrows, and Glorong isn't full-sized yet. And he hasn't come to his full armory. And that's the quote. It's as if the scales on his back have not hardened enough yet. We know of smog that his scales were like steel. 
and they could not be pierced with regular arrows or blades. Glarung would eventually get to that size and scale and strength and armory level, I guess you could say. He hasn't fully leveled up yet, but not yet. And the sting of these arrows was too much for him. And eventually he decided that he needed to back off and he retreated back to Angban to lick his wounds. And Morgoth was not happy about this. This was supposed to be a surprise. Glarung was the weapon of all weapons. It was something that Morgoth had spent hundreds of years developing. And we'll talk about the development and what that might actually mean in the second half of the show. But this was supposed to be the atomic bomb in his arsenal. It was supposed to be the thing that the enemies, his enemies, did not realize that he had. So that when he decided it was time to go to war again, he could push in, probably with his regular forces, maybe throw in some Balrogs along with the orcs, you know, things that the elves had seen before and might be kind of prepared, and then hit them with Glarung when they're not expecting it. They think they can stand against these forces that they've seen before, and then all of a sudden you hit them with the atomic weapon. But that did not happen. And Glarung will not be seen again for 200 years. And we know the elves, eternal, Morgoth, eternal. He's got time to wait. Glarung obviously needed his time to uh, lick his wounds and continue growing because the final version, this isn't even my final form yet. The final version that we get of Glarung 200 years later is extremely formidable and wrecks a lot of havoc. So stay tuned for that part of the story. This is also interesting because Glorong ties into the story of Turin to Rimbar, who there is a book about the children of Hurin. The book, the children of Hurin came out, what was it? 15 years ago ish. And um, this was stories that this is one of the stories that exists in the Silmarillion. But then years later, Christopher Tolkien took more details from other texts and was able to create a novel out of Turin is one of the well-known heroes, tragic heroes, almost like a dark hero of the peoples of middle earth. And so be ready. Turin and Glarung get to meet in about 200 years. So Glarung's story is not finished. In fact, he's going to do a lot more. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this 
is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome to the middle of the show. I can't wait to get to the second half and to explain more about the origins of Glorong and dragons in general. I think this is a really exciting episode. Thank you so much to our patrons. We have two new patrons this week, Isaac W. and Todd S. Thank you for signing up on the Patreon. That means that we are up to 27 patrons right now. Thank you so much to every single one of you. Also, huge shout out to our VIP patrons, uh, Isoteric Rage, Larry, Tristan P, and Tyler B. Thank you so very much to all of you. You guys, I, I couldn't do this as a primary thing for a living without the support from you guys and the community. I really appreciate it. I, man, I can't believe we're up to 27 patrons. Also, I've been um, watching some of the teaser trailers for for the, uh, the Rings Amazon thing coming out. Words are falling out of my brain right now, but I'm just so excited. All of this stuff. If you guys have not checked out the most recent trailer and the, I don't know, uh, revelation that the meteor man is probably Sauron, uh, go check it out. Go check it out. Especially look at the pictures of the orcs and just the the cinematography, the more they show of the series, the more beautiful it looks. I'm very excited for that coming very soon. So just needed to throw that in there in the middle here because I I need to geek out about this stuff with you guys. Also, we have some reviews to read out this week. We've got four new ones. I'll try to get through these quickly. First, we have Imrahil 2021 from the United States who writes on Apple Podcasts. Absolutely incredible. Five stars. I've always been interested in Lord of the Rings and I'm always interested in learning new things about Tolkien's immense world, but I've had a hard time finding a podcast or channel that can keep my interest. When my friend recommended this to me, I was skeptical, but once I started listening, I have absolutely loved what I've heard. Thanks for putting time in to make such a quality podcast. Five stars easily. Well, thank you, Imra Hill. I appreciate that. That's awesome. And, th- and tell your friend thanks as well. Also, we have one from DJD564 in Great, Brit- Great Britain. I don't know why I stumbled over the word Britain. Um, who This one's quick and easy. Superb five stars. I just started going through the episodes a few days ago and I'm already on episode 10. Keep it up. Will do, DJ. 
Oh, and I uh, miscounted these. Uh, we actually have three. <laughs> one of them got kind of like reposted or something. Then we have one. Okay, so this one's interesting. This one's a four star. I'm going to read it because I want to address one of the things that they noted in the review. So, uh, and thank you, S. Rosen, for this. 419. Um, this is in the U.S. as well. Exactly what I was looking for. Four stars. I love that this podcast takes the lore, which can be difficult for me to absorb, and puts it into words that click. I'm also very interested in the meta-analysis and historical religious comparison that puts Lord of the Rings into context, but I unfortunately cannot afford the monthly uh, patron level, the the pattern, but patron, I, I, I know what you're saying, that unlocks the bonus episodes. If it were dropped in price, I would consider supporting for the extra content. Love the show, though. So... Uh, thank you, and I appreciate that. I'm I'm sorry that that took off a star. Um, if I could make it up to you, I would. Uh, but I, I do want to address the cost level of Tier 2, which unlocks the bonus episodes, and why I've priced it the way I have, because I think some people are probably curious about that. It is currently set for $14.99, so $15, and it, it requires me to do what is effectively an entire second episode, almost, Usually the the length of those is a little bit shorter, but it's basically a second episode extra research every week. And on top of that, because when you sign up for Patreon, you get access to the entire backlog of everything else I've done. You end up getting a lot of content. So the idea here is that if you are interested in those bonus episodes, if you were to sign up now when we're like 20 episodes in, you're actually getting access to the 20 pre-existing bonus episodes and a new episode every week. So it requires me not only to keep creating more content, but if somebody signs up later, they could just download all of, and this is a secret, if, if you guys are interested in doing this, you can. You can. Um, if you sign up now, you can go download all the bonus episodes and then cancel your subscription after a month. And so, the amount that you get for that $15 increases in value as time goes goes on. If I had set that at five or 10 bucks, then that would be even cheaper and an easy, even easier way for people to get access to those episodes that I put a lot of work into. And then over time, we'll have put a ton of work into. So imagine after a year of doing this, there's 50 episodes available, 50 times the average length of an episode. That's a ton of content for 15 bucks. So you're welcome to do this. You can use this little hack if you'd like. Of course, I would appreciate it if you stayed a patron in order to help support my efforts in continuing to make these, but that's still better than not having been supported at all in my eyes. And ultimately I'm putting that content out there so that you guys can enjoy it and learn from it and and all of that as well. So if you want to, if you want to look at it like that, you are actually getting way more than just one extra bonus episode a week. You're getting an entire backlog of episodes, an entire backlog of episodes without ads, all of that stuff that you can listen to for just 15 bucks. So if you were to purchase a movie, you'd spend more than 15 bucks for way less content, if you think of it that way, or an audiobook. So anyway, just wanted to put that in context for those of you who are kind of on the fence with the pricing and, and how that actually shakes out. So 
Thanks again for everybody for all of your support. All of you who take time to leave ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can leave some ratings on Spotify as well. Thank you to everyone. I really do appreciate the support and thank you for helping let me make this and make this a full-time job. All right, let's get on with the rest of the stuff about dragons. All right, welcome back. Um, sorry to take a little bit longer on the mid-break on this one, but I just wanted to, to clear up some stuff, and now we get to talk about dragons. Now, the the dragon, the question of the origin of the dragon, like where did the dragon come from? How did Morgoth make it? All of that stuff has been highly debated for a long time among fans and scholars of Tolkien's work. Dragons are intelligent creatures, We know this. They speak common. They can probably speak multiple languages. They live a very long time. They're extremely cunning. They're very smart. They're very large. They're very strong. What did Morgoth use to create these? We know that Morgoth can't create from nothing. In fact, nobody can except for Iluvatar or, you know, God in Tolkien's eyes. The dragons had to have been a creation that came from the mutation, manipulation, corruption of something else, something else that was great and powerful in its own way. You look at the way the orcs work, and if the orcs are corrupted humans or elves or other theories have any other, basically any other creature out there that was an intelligent uh humanish kind of race, then for what Morgoth does to them, they appear to get weaker. I mean, they, yeah, they, they're formidable foes in groups, but individually I would take an elf over an orc any day <laughs> to, to fight on my side, uh, not just because of the personalities, but because of what they're capable of. They, are corrupted and they seem lesser than the thing that was corrupted in order to to make them. So if you take the idea that Glauron is a lizard-like being, then there must have been other lizard-like beings that he came from, right? But where were they? What were they? What are the progenitors of dragons? We we don't really know. We don't see them in the wild. We don't hear tale of giant lizard creatures living in the world. Also, and let's let's get a little bit more into the detail here about the nature of dragons. Dragons aren't just big lizards that can breathe fire and have scales that can repel blades and arrows and those kinds of things. They are extremely smart. We know that they hatch from eggs. We know that they take a long time to mature. We know that they have other features in their arsenal, you could say, for when they are taking on their enemies. At times they can be hypnotic. They can fool people with their words. They they can curse a place and give it the dragon sickness, this the sense of uh, overwhelming greed that comes from their very personality because they themselves are greedy. They they like gold. They like treasure. They hoard it. All of these features 
are part of who the dragons are. These are intelligent kinds of features. They can also leave toxic gas, which I didn't, I did mention at the beginning of the episode, but aside from the biological side of the dragons, they, they, they have personality and they are very intentional in what they do. They're smart. And if you again, look at the orcs, the orcs are less intelligent than the creatures they came from. They're, you don't consider <laughs> the orcs to be the smart people in Morgoth's or Sauron's army. Like there's a reason why orcs aren't taking the place of Sauron as some sort of lieutenant. Sauron is a Maiar. Sauron is smart by nature, is intelligent. Even you could say the Balrogs being from Maiar stock have a level of intelligence. Now, we never sit down and have a conversation with any of them, but I would imagine that they're fairly intelligent creatures. So what is exactly going on here? Well, we have three lines of main speculation as to the origins of the dragon. One is, and as you can probably tell from what I've explained so far, the one that I'm least likely to think is actually accurate is that they were originally physical beasts, some sort of other creature, something like a fell beast or some other large lizard like creature. And they were basically corrupted like elves to orcs. And if that's the case, then maybe, I mean, we've got a little bit there. So for example, like a warg seems to be some sort of corrupted, like a larger wolf type character or creature and wargs can speak. Okay. So maybe there's some sort of line of original creatures that are animal like, but yet intelligent. So for example, the Eagles, we have an example of a creature that is intelligent and animal like Eagles. Maybe there are intelligent wolves out there somewhere, intelligent lizards out there somewhere, but we don't actually see them. And from what we know, things like the fell beasts don't talk. They act like animals and they're ridden on like steeds. So that one doesn't really hold up a whole lot. Okay. So what if we go down the Maiar path, right? We've got Maiar, we've got Valar and Maiar, right? Maiar are the lesser of the two. And individuals like Sauron is a Maiar. Sauron can take physical form. Gandalf, also a Maiar, originally given a physical form. In fact, all of the wizards come from that. They are highly intelligent. They are capable of doing things that would you would consider to be magical. Okay, this seems like in line with some of the requirements for a dragon, right? Now, the idea would be that the Maiar, some of the Maiar that are following Morgoth are now given bodies designed by Morgoth to be formidable weapons. They are embodied in these dragon type shapes. So if that's the case, then all of them should exist from the beginning of time. But we we do have some counterpoint here because we know that smog the dragon that we are most familiar with was born after the end of the first age he's actually a fairly young 
dragon compared to many of these other dragons that come about in the first age. So if that's the case, they can't all just be Maiar that are embodied because reasons that couldn't have happened with smog. Smog actually had to come from an egg and was born biologically through the procreation of other dragons. Can Maiar procreate with other people? It seems like they can. So that leads to the third possibility in that maybe these are embodied Maiar who procreate with beasts, some sort of lizard creature in order to create something else. So think of uh, Ungoliant um, procreating with spiders in order to have spider babies. And those spider babies are like Shelob. Shelob is still intelligent. Shelob is still formidable. But Shelob is much more grounded into reality and an existing body than Ungoliant, who seems to have to take on that form but can, can lose it at any moment and kind of go back into some other plane of existence, maybe even <laughs> out into the outer dark or just disappear. I don't know. There's this, I don't know if that that's super accurate, but there's this like not as physically limited sense to when the Maiar take on physical bodies, if that makes sense. Uh, for example, Sauron being able to change forms. Sauron takes on actually different forms in different parts of the stories, not just you know, this idea of the eye or a like human type shape. So if that's where they actually come from, if we have a combination of embodied Maiar mating with beasts, some sort of large reptilian like creature in order to create a line of physical biological dragons that can then give birth to other dragons. Now we have a self-sustaining creature something that can exist on its own and procreate from that point on therefore we get something like a smog so in my mind that's the most possible of the explanations but unfortunately we never get actual confirmation about this because we don't have any works from tolkien that explaining this process and we don't have an interview where he answered the question about the origin of dragons the other thing we do know is that these dragons are very, very influenced by Germanic literature. Although I, I noted that they were more of an Eastern uh, physical design and shape in Tolkien's own drawings. Um, and if you don't know, the maps in the books and many of the drawings that you see in, in some locations are Tolkien's himself. He would draw things out in order to get a, a better visual sense of what he was creating. So these have commonality so ancient poems and sagas from the middle of europe uh stories like the north norse north north i'm gonna leave that in there the norse sagas or beowulf has dragons and the similarities with those are mostly things like they embody greed they hoard treasure they are jealous they are, tend to be large they tend to breathe fire and then you have that with the combination of the Vulsunga saga, uh, Fafnir, who is a dragon that poisons the land around him. This idea that toxic toxicity like gas and poisons kind of leak out of the creature. And 
the idea that there are scales on the outside, but the underbelly is soft and vulnerable is another feature that comes from the Vulsunga. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Saga. So there are some similarities there. Um, you'll probably notice that most of the dragons, although they have these like vulnerable under, underbellies, Smog didn't, which is also notable. He had scales all the way around and there was only that one gap in his scales. So that is a little bit different and notably a Tolkien expansion on the design of the dragons, which is pretty cool. So I would love to hear what you guys think. Do you think the Maiar are a source for this creation? Do you think that they were somehow just embedded with Morgoth's own magics in order to rise a creature up out from something it already was into something more intelligent and more formidable? I don't know. I think I think I'm going to go with the whole Maiar mating with things kind of perspective. At least that's where I am now. But let me know what you think. Send me a note. You can always reach me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Join us on the robots radio discord or, you know, just uh, yell things out the car door while driving and maybe I'll hear them. I don't think that one's likely, but (laughs) thanks for tuning in. I'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes or just search Robots Radio Discord or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play.